everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers. My name is Dave Bookbinder, and welcome back to the show where we dig deeper to understand what really matters most in business. Today, we're going to be talking about private equity as a liquidity solution, and I am pleased, super pleased, to welcome my guest today, Diana Bowerly, who is Director and Head of Business Development at Middle Ground Capital. Diana, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Dave, thanks so much for having me. I know it took a while to get here. It took a very long time and <laughs> circuitous path to get you here, but I'm so glad that you are here. So I want to start by having you talk a little bit about yourself and Middle Ground. So Middle Ground Capital is a private equity firm, but I'm going to let you tell the rest of the story. Absolutely. So Middle Ground Capital is a lower middle market focused industrial buyout shop headquartered in Lexington, Kentucky. And what that means is we invest a pool of capital from our investors into what we define as a lower middle market B2B industrial manufacturing, especially distribution business model. Um, we've been investing since, I think, officially 2019, um, so we're relatively new compared to the you know, 30-year-old private equity landscape. Um, and I started my career in business development uh, almost immediately out, out of college and have been working in the industry for, I don't know, seven, eight years now. <laughs> and I've had the pleasure of working with some of your colleagues at Middle Ground on the valuation side over mm -hmm. the course of my career as well, so some really good folks over there. I want to talk to the business owners who are yeah. watching and listening here. And I want to talk a little bit about, we'll call it the flavors of private equity. There's growth capital, there's controlling interest, minority interest. Why don't you explain to folks who are watching and listening the different varieties of private equity? Yeah, so everything from, you know, venture capital, where you are pre-revenue, pre-EBITDA, and you're just starting your business and looking for an investor to help you grow. Uh, and then there's kind of growth equity, where a partner may bring on some capital to help you expand into some strategic projects, open kind of a new product line, or even provide, similar to like a Shark Tank, right. introductions to new kind of um, manufacturing facilities or even new customer bases or emerging markets. And then there's what we call the buyout um, vertical, which is where Middle Ground actually spends all of our time. And that is where we... Um, definitely set, step in for more of like a change of ownership situation. So an owner looking for a liquidity event um, where you bring in fresh capital to execute on different initiatives and projects or help kind of create continuity within the business. Yeah. Do you find that there's any specific common theme and drivers as to what gets the business owner to the point where they're actually contemplating an exit? Oh, gosh, it is so personal because business owners are building their business from the ground up. It's really like their baby. It's like their oh, yeah. child. So whether it's a market condition, I mean, we've seen everything from election cycles, change of administration, um, or even kind of handing off to that second generation or that third generation of the family, what that looks like. And then sometimes business owners, I mean, look, <laughs> the last couple of years have been a little rough. So going through COVID, you've got supply chain issues, you've got all these macroeconomic drivers. Business owners may wake up one day and say, hey, I'm looking for a liquidity event or I'm looking to transition to another generation. I think it's very a combination of emotionally driven as well as, you know, just logically market condition driven. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you say that. I've had some folks on the program here talking about this topic and the, the concept of the emotional component in the exit is, is so huge. Um, I've had advisors on the program talking about their need to be almost psychiatrists for their clients. <laughs> and at Middle Ground and, and throughout my career in business development, I have learned the value of an investment banker because the investment banker is really the trusted advisor of that owner to help them kind of triage through that process. 
it's really disingenuous when the private equity fund is like, let me help you kind of make this transition when emotionally you're going through something really difficult. So we always love working alongside that trusted advisor, like an investment banker or whomever that business owner brings into the process. Yeah. And I want to talk about investment bankers a little bit further down the road here because I'm a former investment banker as well. So thank you for that nod. Uh, definitely agree <laughs> that they add a ton of value here, uh, despite what some business owners may, may think and they're reluctant to pay fees, but we'll get there. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to ask you about the, the timing for an exit. Um, a lot of business owners are taught right out of Jump Street that you should be exit ready day one, that you should always be thinking you're planning for an exit. Is there a proper way to view how to think about when to exit, you know, notwithstanding you know, all the emotional things? Is, is there any strategy in timing things? I'm not a big fan of trying to time the market. I think that you know some sellers like to get cute and try to figure out when is the most you know beneficial for them to time an exit. I think that it's something thought about you know over a long period of time. But even just mentally and physically preparing yourself for an exit, so going through um, doing like a quality of earnings report or doing you know getting your financials in order or understanding you know. As the, the business owner, they're the key man, generally. They're the CEO. They own all the relationships. Well, if you're thinking about an exit in 12 to 24 months, you have to start transitioning those relationships to somebody else. If you're no longer there, how will the business continuously run without you? And I think that that, when you feel confident that you've really offloaded everything off of your plate onto somebody else or, or you've kind of trained and developed your team around you, that's when I think it makes the most sense to start contemplating an exit. Yeah, and when you're working with companies, ultimately they're selling to a, a third party, um, or when you're making an investment in those businesses. What 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 are you seeing in terms of the we'll call it the second generation or next gen of a family-run business? Are you finding that folks are interested in, in being a part of that family legacy? Generally, from where we see in the industrial space, I think I think so. The second generation is very active in running and managing, um, but they know their strengths. So, like, they do very well with new customer acquisition or helping with the um, plant facility running a certain way or employee engagement or employee development, but they need support in sourcing their product or they need support in vendor negotiation or new pools of capital. And that's where I think private equity is a really great solution because they can play to the second generation's strength who wants to stay involved in the business while also playing to the strength of either a private equity owner or some financial investor to help make them better. Yeah. How, how so you can making them better. How important is the, the operational component? There are some private equity firms that are, we'll call it hands off. Mm-hmm. And there are others that are more hands on. And, and then there's the Goldilocks ones that are somewhere in between. But a lot of business owners, in my experience, some of these, these privately held companies really do need and certainly benefit from a, a little bit more guidance and maybe more hands on. What's your thoughts on that? So I will say to business owners, when you're going through a sale process, you're interviewing the potential buyer or private equity fund or whomever is going to be stepping in because it's almost like dating. (laughs) You're trying to find someone that's going to align with what you're looking for. So if you're looking for operational support, you're not going to want to move forward with a firm that does more financial support and is operationally hands-off. Or if you're looking for someone who is operationally hands-off and you're just looking for some, some cash to get into the business to execute on projects, great. Make sure you're targeting your search for that type of buyer because we come in all different shapes, sizes, and flavors, and you know we're not the best fit for everyone. So I, I try to say, you know, during a sale process, while we're evaluating the business, the business should also be evaluating the buyer and understanding if it's actually a good partnership yeah. post-close. Yeah, well said. And one of the components of evaluating the buyer is um, 
complaint I've heard a lot. Reporting requirements. <laughs> uh, talk about the, the administrative component of an investment. Yeah, it, it feels like a lot. And I think that any change uh, can always feel like a lot and a little bit difficult to wrap your arms around. But the reporting components is so important because without those key performance indicators or, or KPIs or metrics, you know, the focus of continuous improvement, it's hard to understand where we are and where we're going to. So without those benchmarking and reporting, it's a little difficult to actually see if, you know, the projects you're implementing or what you're working on is actually translating into real change on the bottom line. So while I understand that they can be a big lift, um, you know, I think what's important from a buyer's perspective or even an ownership group's perspective is communicating Here's the tree that you see that can be really difficult and it takes a lot of time, but understand the forest and understand how it's really impacting the, the total investment and, and the growth of the business and not get bogged down on the like very specific performance evaluation you have to put forward now. Right. You had mentioned the value of investment bankers, and I wanted to circle back to that. Yeah. And I, I do believe in the power of the auction uh, mm -hmm. because it, it creates an environment where there's real tension in the marketplace. and. Um, my, my clients have gotten much more value from, from using the banker in that situation. From your perspective, what, what's your lens on the investment banker? Does it add more credibility, credibility to the process from your perspective? So every private equity fund wants to find that unicorn, that diamond in the rough. You bump into a business owner on the street and you're like, have I got a great solution for you? Um, but I, I think that working through an auction process is really the most sustainable business model for our business within the private equity landscape. And the reason for that is when an investment banker is involved, like we talked about, the emotional trials and tribulations of selling your business is largely handled by that trusted advisor of the investment banker. So I know a seller is a real seller because they have gone out and hired an investment banker to help support them through that process. I also think the investment banker helps build credibility to the overall business model because they've dug in, they've done a review and the bank has said, you know what, I think this is a great business. I think it's worth selling. And I think that middle ground or whomever should be on the buyer's list. Yeah. And that's the most helpful for us in, in triaging. And then we build relationships with those investment bankers to know, hey, this is a great middle ground deal or you know what, middle ground, not really worth your time. It's not going to be a fit for you. And then, you know, I'm not mad about not seeing that deal. It's, it's very much still a relationship market. Yep, for sure. Diana, for folks who are watching and listening and want to learn more about you or how they can connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Um, I think middlegroundcapital.com will be the best because that has our entire team. It has my bio. It has everyone on our team as well as our LinkedIn page. Um, you'll see that we're very active on LinkedIn. So just go to middlegroundcapital.com. And we can also find you on LinkedIn personally as well, right? Yes, me personally. Uh, we're all very active across Middleground's LinkedIn page as well. So you'll, uh, you'll find the whole team there. Awesome. We've got to take a quick break. You just sit right there. Don't go anywhere. You watching and listening, you do the same. Sit tight. We will be right back on Behind the Numbers after this quick break. When did you see the sign? When I needed to create a better visitor experience. Improve our workflow. Attract new customers. That's when Fast Signs recommended Fleet Graphics. Yeah, now business is rolling in. Get started at FastSigns.com. And welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and we're talking private equity with Diana Bowerly, who is director and head of business development at Middle Ground Capital. Diana, welcome back to round two of Behind the Numbers. Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, time is fleeting. I want to <laughs> continue on the theme that we had in the first segment, which is the conversation to business owners. Mm -hmm. um, one of the fears 
that I've personally experienced and seen from my investment banking days and working with my clients right now as valuation professionals as they're going through a process or contemplating a process is the idea of losing their people. Mm. You know, there, there's been so many you know, horror stories of private equity coming in and just gutting things. Is that true? How should they calibrate that thought? Listen, first of all, business owners are very validated in that feeling because when I first entered into the private equity market or, or was looking to work for a private equity fund, I was like, absolutely not. They're the bad guys. I'm not interested. Uh, that is not the case. Um, and like I said, there's every flavor of you know private equity from growth to venture to buyout, all with different strategies and work ethics. So business owners are absolutely validated. I mean, every, anybody's going to have that fear when they're looking to sell their business. If their business is like their child and it's a part of their family, every single employee that works there is very comparable to that. And that's the same feeling. What I, I say to business owners, and, and I try to relate it back to a, a home analogy. When you're looking to sell your house, you are going to hire a real estate agent. They're going to list the, the, the house. And then eventually a buyer is going to come in and say, oh my goodness, I love this house. This is where I want to raise my family and I want to live happily ever after. Once that buyer owns that house, they're not going to get rid of the kitchen. <laughs> like The kitchen was a selling point of the home, and the bathrooms were a selling point of the home. So you're not going to come in, buy a house, get rid of the kitchen, the bathrooms, and the garage. That's the whole reason you bought the home. So very similarly, and especially in the industrial manufacturing space where we invest most of our capital, we're buying really the people. The shop floor workers that are making those widgets or you know components are the expertise. So why would we come in and get rid of an entire line? Or why would we come in and get rid of the kitchen? It's it's really adding to the value of the home, but I, I completely understand and validate the feeling of the business owner, because I'd probably feel the same way. Yeah, and I, I've got to expound on that because I share your exact sentiment. When I first entered my career, I had a preconceived notion of what private equity did, what it was, and then working with private equity professionals in the way that I have over the course of my career, I've come to really understand exactly what you said. They're, they're not looking to gut a business per se. It's really about acquiring the assets and growing the company to create a win-win. So if you're concerned about that, what Diana said, I, I second that. Um, I'm going to throw something at you that I'm going to ask you to take in whatever direction you want because it's a fairly broad question, and that is, what makes a company investable? I mean, obviously, you need a growth story. You need profitability. Uh, there may be tech, there could be IP. I'm stalling for you so you can get your thoughts. But, <laughs> I appreciate but, it. But what, what, what makes a company investable? Well, I think the big first fundamental question, is there a fundamental reason for this business to exist? So, you know, what is their competitive edge? What is going to make them sustainable through various market cycles? Um, as industrial manufacturing investors, as you know, we have different cycles within the market, whether it's supply chain concerns, the COVID pandemic, um, you know, different automotive strikes, anything can kind of cause for a business to falter or shutter. And, and that's, that's fine. As industrial investors, we always joke, we're underwriting something. We just don't know what that something is yet. Something is going to happen in the market. Something's going to happen in the macroeconomic lens. And generally speaking, the most successful businesses are ones that had a reason to exist regardless of the macroeconomic conditions. So that's something that we always underwrite. Like, what is the fundamental reason for this to exist? And then, you know, what does the growth opportunity look like? Is it growing through acquisition? Are there other businesses that make sense with this business? Is it growing new customer strategies? Is it growing new end markets, um, new components, and what does that look like? And I think that, you know, taking a step back, another thing that we love when we look at in investing in businesses are how are they a partner in their markets? How do they partner with their vendors? How do they partner with their customers? Because Great point. 
it's very much still a relationship market. You know, regardless of how efficient we get, uh, it's still relationship driven. Great point. And speaking of relationship, that's a wonderful segue <laughs> for, for us to talk a little bit about you. Uh, your love of business development, you've got a blog, and you say that you've got the coolest job in the world. Why is that? I, I don't know. I think I'm so young in my career, I'm so blessed to be able to think that I have the coolest job in the world. I recognize that that's like an anomaly. People aren't like enamored by their careers, um, but I think it's a really cool job. And really, I'm a professional dot connector. So I represent you know, my fund, which is Middle Ground Capital, as an industrial-focused buyout shop and connect with investment bankers. I get to talk to business owners. I get to talk to, you know, all, I've met so many people through this career. Mm -hmm. And really my job is to kind of approach those relationships with how can I be the most helpful? Um, and something that I didn't think I would ever find in private equity, but I approach every conversation with an investment banker or yourself and I'm like, hey, how can I be helpful to you? I think I initially was like, here's some people I think that should be on the podcast. And you're like, no, 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 I think you should be on the podcast or on the show. And I think that that's, really what gets me excited and gets me out of bed in the morning for my job is that I get to support and help others and kind of see how that, you know, it's a very much a relationship market. Yeah. And that's where we sync up because I call it the go-giver mindset, yes. Bob Berg and the go-giver about paying it forward. What mm -hmm. can you do to serve? What can you do to help? And I also think that I've got a pretty cool job. <laughs> uh, apparently I'm the second coolest job in the world, but next to you, but there we go. I want to talk about deal sourcing. Yeah. So in, in your world, deal sourcing, when I was growing up in the, that business world, um, it was all about being on the golf course. <laughs> and I know that's not true. I mean, still things happen on the golf course. Absolutely. But how, how much is data now overtaking the need to be you know, out in the, on the golf course, just to continue that thread? Yeah, so being on the golf course, I can say I love to golf. Am I a good golfer? No, but I'm a great time. Uh, and I love being out on the golf course. But that doesn't mean that's not my whole business development strategy. So we use data to augment and ensure that we are being the most efficient with our time in relationship building. So relationship building is very much still the foundation. But it's how can I ensure that I'm staying in front of the right names that are the most relevant to my industrial focus buyout strategy. Um, you know, we use data to see like what bankers or trusted advisors are being used by different business owners to ensure that they're kind of on our radar. We're actively making sure we're staying in front of them, but still, you know, having golf outings yeah. or ha hosting dinners to build stronger relationships. Data is really important on the front end to ensure that we're being the most efficient with our time. Yeah. And in that regard, one of the biggest challenges we all have is being top of mind. So mm. when an opportunity comes up, you want your vast network to think of you first. Uh, how do you do that? <laughs> well, I, I like to say that I, Middle Ground makes that part really easy because we are an operationally focused team. Um, and so just a little bit of background on the, the three founding partners. Two thirds of our founding team started their careers on the Toyota manufacturing floor. I'm talking like bumpers on Camrys on the mm. night shift, like very much hourly line workers and have worked their way up through the Toyota organization and eventually transitioned over to private equity. And our third founding partner, uh, she has more of a traditional investment banking, private equity background. So when I'm, I'm talking to somebody and I want to stay top of mind, I say, hey, if you have a business owner that needs some operational support, so think like Kaizen, continuous improvement, Toyota, lean manufacturing, that's where we shine. And that's really easy to kind of stay top of mind because it's like if you're just looking for money, that's not necessarily middle ground. If you're looking for operational support where, you know, we can come in and bring our big bad operations team. Um, they're some of the most fun guys to work with. They're all from Lexington, Kentucky. So they're, you know, have that Midwest charm, but they're just wonderful people. And that's really the resource that we bring um, to an investment. So you're an outgoing personality. You enjoy networking. <laughs> 
there's a lot of folks who would cringe at that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't want to go out and, and be in an event and show up and do something like this and be on a show. Um, th there's a fear there. Mm -hmm. And somebody on my show a long time ago mentioned that, that the fear of public speaking is, is even greater than the fear of death, meaning that you'd, you'd rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. <laughs> Think about that for a second, folks. How do you help people overcome that fear of networking being out there? Well, I think, and I, I, I recognize this because my husband's an engineer, um, so very much you know introverted compared to my extroverted self. But I, I really think that the easiest way to do it is when you're networking or talking to somebody, ask them questions about themselves. People love to talk about themselves. Whether right. you realize it or not, people will go on for hours about themselves. So then it takes the pressure off of you. And then you have the opportunity to learn a little bit more about them when you're asking you know, questions about them and, and what they like to do or, or whatever the questions are. You're then taking in information and now you have a jumping off point. So it's not as scary as walking up to somebody that you know no one about and trying to hold a conversation. So I, I always start with asking them and interviewing them because honestly, people love to talk about themselves. Yeah, absolutely they do. And I think it's also a mindset shift if I can just add that, that yeah. one little component here and we talked about it before. It's about when people feel skeevy about sales, I think it's because they feel like they're, they're asking for something, they oh, want yeah. something. So if you flip the script, and instead of coming at it from, I need something from you, how can I give something to you? What can I do to help? And like you said, interviewing them, asking the questions, and connecting those dots, it just makes it that much easier. I always joke, I am not a salesperson. I, I have very good friends that are very successful in sales. Sales is not me. I am I'm just here to learn about you and see if there's a solution I can provide or an introduction I can make. That's, that's all I got. Great. Well, <laughs> tell those folks who are looking at you or listening to you right now how they can connect with you if they want to learn more about you. Absolutely. Um, so I think the easiest way is middlegroundcapital.com. You have all of our bios, all of our contact information is there. So you'll see me on the website. Um, I'm also Diana Bowerly on LinkedIn. Uh, and follow Middle Ground Capital on LinkedIn as well. We post a ton of content and we have a lot of employee reposts. So if you're looking to get to know our team, um, it's the best way to do it. Great. I want to talk a little bit about the, the, the world of competition and friendly competition. <laughs> oh, right? yeah. So you guys are in competition for deals every day. You're not the only ones being shown a pitch book, for example. Um, so how do you interact with other folks in your space? Oh. I love the business development professionals that we compete against in funds that like are also industrial focused shops, but also tech focused shops. First of all, when anything ever happens, we are all good friends. I'm like, hey, how are you navigating this new market? When COVID happened and we couldn't travel, all of us got on a Zoom and we're like, okay, what do we do? Um, so it's very much like we support each other, but we're not necessarily in competition. Our whole goal is to get our company's name on the buyers list. And then from there, you know, it's the shoe doesn't fit everybody. It's like, oh, it could be operationally focused, so it might be middle ground, or it could be growth focused, so not necessarily middle ground, maybe another fund. So we all interact very well together, and I think that they're the best resources. And oh, by the way, we've competed against them in deals, but also like we've bought things from their portfolio, they've bought things from our portfolio. So it's very much a, a mutual relationship building opportunity. Yeah, once your competitors know you, like you, trust you, they can be a customer. Yeah, absolutely. And that's we, we always try to kind of convert that across the portfolio companies. So why not do it at the, the fund level? Yeah, and that starts with an attitude. So, <laughs> so good for you. We are down to the short strokes here. We only have a couple of minutes to go here, but I want to give you the last word. Uh, to offer advice either to business owners about how they can become you know, better investable companies, or if you want to talk to the audience about networking, uh, final word to you. I just say for any business owner that's looking for a liquidity event that might have a little bit of fear that we talked about, 
It's totally validated and it's totally normal. I think the best thing to do to navigate that is trust your advisors, express those fears and kind of talk through them. It's not worth waiting till the end or the final hour. And I think that there actually are a lot more liquidity situations out there than you might know. So it's a really great opportunity to, to educate yourself and learn more um, in a low impact environment. Well said. Diana, thank you so much for joining us here in Behind the Numbers. Really appreciate you being here. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. Today we've been talking about private equity with Diana Bowerly from Middle Ground Capital. Uh, definitely reach out to them and check out Diana. She mentioned that she's on LinkedIn. She's very active out there, and I'm sure she'll connect with you if you reach out to her. <laughs> uh, my name is Dave Bookbinder, and I'm the one that my clients turn to when they want to know what their most important assets are worth. So if you're a business owner and you've enjoyed this conversation and you don't know what your business is worth, we should probably talk. You can find me on LinkedIn as well. Thanks to the Big Cheese for running the board, and thank you for watching and listening. Can't do the program without you. We'll see you next time on Behind the Numbers. Take care, everybody.